Shut up and sit down. everyone um can you hear me tonight i hope so i just hit my mic i hope you didn't get a bang in your ear for that um <clears throat> i uh oh good good teeny bang teeny bang okay that sounded a little weird even to me okay um we're gonna talk about world building and short story construction tonight because i think it's really relative to um our upcoming challenge in july gonna get jilly on the air we're gonna talk about it before we do that i wanted to let all you bitches know that um lady holder has a new book out and it's available at cobblestone-press.com it's called one wild week and her pen name is Lexi Bain. So take your butts over there and support a fellow minion um, in her endeavors to be a published writer. Yes, indeedy. Uh, <clears throat> I imagine she'll get links for other distribution um, as they as they hit. But I would say, speaking from experience. Um, the author gets more money when you buy directly from the publisher because they're not splitting the um, money with Amazon or with Barnes and Noble or whoever you publish, you know, you, you, you buy from normally. And the publisher gives out a multi-format zip file. So you'll, you'll get a PDF and something compatible with the Nook and with the Kindle. So plenty of options uh, recommended recommended okay, gonna get started um where's the wild jilly there's the wild jilly whoa i have my volume up too loud <laughs> lady holder is not with us tonight she's um got some um uh personal issues going on so she's traveling um but next week she'll be on the show and we'll talk about her new book and where she That's thinks so she's gonna go next and I'm going to I'm going to interview her like, you know, like a professional reporter or something. I don't know. I'm she she's not prepared. <laughs> she has no idea. It'll be fun. <laughs> it's a um it's a gay romance um and it's a shifter. One of them's a werewolf. Yay. Got to love the werewolf. Cuz if there's anything hotter than a male male romance, it's probably a male male werewolf romance. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So anyways, uh, go out and support Lady Holder. Bye, bye, bye. So I have to start. She has a public service announcement. Go ahead. Yeah. I don't hate um, reverse bangs. So somebody last night, I guess they inferred that my comments were anti-reverse bang, and they are not. Um, there are people out there who are super inspired by visual prompts and the fact that somebody came up with the idea for a reverse bang is a wonderful thing. Um, but this is sort of like the reader writer thing. 
what I read is what I'm willing to do as a reader is very different from what I can write and what I'm willing to sometimes on occasion participate in as a writer is not the same thing as what I want to run as round challenge. So the, for me, the drawbacks of a reverse bang that are about my preferences extend into what I would want to do in terms of running a challenge. So that is why I would not choose to run a reverse bang is because there are so many things about it that don't work well for me. I have participated in them. I'm very familiar with them. I've been very happy with the stories that I did in the reverse bangs. So um, one of my reverse bang stories was Memories, which is one of my favorite writing stories of my own. It was my Gibbs character. Um, I sort of uh, was, uh, as well. Yeah, and that was a reverse bank story. So, um, and the that's the one where Tony's great. never actually on screen, right? Yes, except for the very end. He's okay. on screen in the yeah. very last scene. Yeah, it's sort of a Gibbs character study. Um, so that's one of my favorite stories of mine, and that was a reverse bang story. I worked with a great artist on that project who liked the story so much they did a supplemental art that I loved as much as the original art, the inspiration art. So sometimes I go and I look at what's on offer on a reverse bang and I'm like, wow, that's awesome. I want to participate. That's my thing. But as many times as I've wanted to participate, I have not because of the level of restriction. The probably piece of art I was most interested in ever in a reverse bang had restrictions on it that would have that precluded any idea I could come up with. So I don't um Personally, would not personally because of the the things I mentioned last night that are troublesome to me about reverse things. It would not be a challenge I would choose to run. I would still possibly participate in one if somebody ran one and there was art that I liked. So I'm not dissing reverse bangs. I don't hate them. They've just got some drawbacks from my perspective. Okay, so don't take it like I'm harsh on reverse bangs because I'm not. End of story. I don't have any experience with bangs, obviously, but I find the concept of a, um, a reverse bang really off-putting, to be to be perfectly frank. I um, Especially the idea that the artist can um, has the right to restrict my content, um, I find that very intrusive. Um, so I, I would never, I, I can't imagine participating in something like that. Um I'm I'm very picky about who I let in my process to begin with. You guys might have noticed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and a just a little bit. It, I, I just I, I find the whole idea really, really, really off-putting. There's no way I'd participate in one. I, I just can't see it. And then, because like, what if you do your story and the and the artist reads it and they don't like it? Well, they wouldn't say anything, for starters. Usually, a polite artist would not say anything, but um, you never know. You know. I don't know. I just could not invite somebody into my process that way. Um, that's just not how my brain works. That's not how I – and I also, I, I rarely ever find images um, inspiring. It isn't something that, you know, I'm – And it could be because of the way I learn. I learn better from an auditory perspective than I do from a visual medium. Um, 
I really enjoy class discussion and lectures. Now, I I read really fast. I read really well. Um, I absorb information that well with, with no problem. But I'm more entertained and more engaged with um, discussion. Does that make sense? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is, is like sometimes I see images, but the, the most the images I've ever seen that were inspiring, like wow, I need to write something about that. It's usually one scene, and sometimes from one scene you can build a story, but from but more often than not, when I see an image, I go, whoa, that's inspiring. It is exactly that tone. It's it's sex. It's like I would write a sex scene about that image, but it's not a story. There are some really hot <laughs> images I've seen that I'm like. Okay. I need I need to write I need to write a scene I need to write a sex scene that incorporates that image, but that's not a story. Um, so it it is rare that I see an image that usually an image sparks a scene idea, and it but it's rare that that scene I can extrapolate that into an entire story. So, um, and especially if there's a lot of restrictions like pairing restrictions and universe restrictions and. Um, when you get into that, to be heavily restricted, um, I just start feeling stifled. So, but some people who struggle to maybe struggle to find inspiration, really, I know people who don't do big bangs, who only do reverse bangs. And that is, we all have a different kind of process. So, um, as a participant, um, I think you should do I, – I would do whatever works for me. If I saw an image in a reverse bang that made me want to sit down and write a story, I would do my best to claim that piece of art. I would stalk the sign-up page. I mean, I would stalk the claiming page <laughs> to get that piece of art. Um, but I wouldn't force myself to write on an image I didn't particularly find inspiring. So – but conversely but – so, but when it comes to a challenge we put together – if I'm going to put together a challenge and go to the effort of moderating it and working with getting help from people to help moderate it and doing a website and putting money out there to do it, I'm going to do something that I find inspiring that I would want to participate in. And as, a, as, a, as an administrator doing an admin thing, I would want, I wouldn't want to do a reverse thing. So I would want to deal with the headaches of it. I wouldn't want to deal with the hurt feelings. Um, you know, it's just, the extra rules, there's a lot more rules you have to bring in with a reverse bang, and I just didn't want to deal with it. So that's why I chose to not deal with a reverse bang and just do concentrate on one challenge and one challenge only and um, let somebody else pick up the reverse bang if they want to. Um, there are and really, honestly, I'm there. not sure how you could fit a reverse bang in to the schedule. I'd have to have a different schedule. Most most groups that do a, a reverse bang and a bang they half of the year goes to the reverse bang and half of the year goes to the bang. Um, some communities just do a reverse bang. But I, I, want a, I want a longer stretch of time so people who write slower can participate. And, um, and, and so that doesn't, that doesn't allow me to run two challenges. Um, so it's just, it was just my, it's just my, you know, it's just my, um, my personal preference is to would not be to, to be, and it's not like I owe anybody anything. So, you know, this it's not about being, I think people get into this mind, well, if you're going to be fair, you have to do both. No, nobody's telling the people who just do one or the other, they have to do both. So, um, 
but just don't take it personally because it isn't personal. And if you are inspired by visual prompts, I actually envy you. It's not my primary source. I get inspired in conversations. I get inspired by questions. I get inspired by different sources of inspiration. Um, but visually, I've not I ever been be much of a... I don't envy you because the idea of that much stimulation in my brain makes me <laughs> nauseous. But, you know, I I recognize my issues in my OCD, and I could not handle that level of constant stimulation if I was inspired that way by imagery. Yeah, I already be, write in my rough. head 24-7. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, Even I mean, when I'm have, asleep, have, so I don't. We have somebody in, in the chat room, in our chat room tonight, Chestnut Nola, who's a minion. She's an author, does rough trade. As I recall, she, uh, she runs the double OQ reverse bang, which is going on now. Um, and she commented that it, 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 there are difficulties and that it's a lot of work. Um, so I... Any bang is a lot of work. And I just want to take on two bangs a year on top of the rough trade. So, and the other things I'm doing, running my own site, and I've been kind of slacking off on wild hair, but I try I need to get back into doing that. There's a time I was putting a lot more time into wild hair. And, you know, so there are a lot of things pulling in my time and attention from a fandom perspective, and I wouldn't want to run through challenges. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of um, the reverse bang is it's, 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 it, she confirmed that it is, um, it is starting. They're a double OQ reverse bang. Um, now the funny thing is, I'm more likely to participate in a reverse bang as an artist than an author. Uh, so, but it, again, this is a difference of of what I would what I would do as a participant on either side is completely different as compared to what I want to engage in as a moderator or as an admin. So. That's why I chose yeah. to just do a bang. I think that a lot of you um, underestimate how much work goes into um, various things that we do. Um, July Rough Trade hasn't even started, and I've probably already invested a little over 20 hours total in that challenge, not as a writer. Between updating plugins and cleaning out the website, which Julie helped me with, it's just really awesome. I super appreciate it. And can you bitches please stop uploading duplicate images? Thanks. Love you. Um, <laughs> the duplicate image thing you don't is real. Gotta, I thought she threw four in the same image. It's like, why is there four of these? You don't got to upload it four times. Okay. You don't have to upload it every time you, um, you can use the same one over and over again. It's not single use, <laughs> I promise. <laughs> um, and updating plugins, and we had a problem with. Uh, uh, I had to basically teach myself how to write a plugin so I could edit a plugin because it wasn't working properly. And so, you know, <clears throat> I'm just saying, there's a lot of yeah. work and. In rough trade, in a in a big bang, in um, it's it's just a lot of work, and I 
don't feel unappreciated because everybody is really cool about supporting Rough Trade and being involved and all that. We are approaching 74 participants for July. Is that right? I think we're at 74. 73? Exactly. 74. 74. I think, I so, 74. and it's, you know, and I don't begrudge the work, but um, for anybody to come at Jillian to complain for not doing two different bangs in a year, I mean, you're asking her to double her workload as an administrator, um, which would only take away from her writing time. Yeah. And I actually and, personally think reverse reverse bangs are more work than bangs from an administrative side, but that's just a guess. I would say so. I mean, I've obviously never participated in one, but I can. I mean, just to, for the, the issues that you talked about, it's it seems like it would be more work. Chestnut, do you do both or just the one? Just the one. Just the um, reverse bang. So, because it seems like it would just be a lot more work. I mean, it just. Uh, well, it depends on you. Depends your wrangling personalities and. Yeah, when you, the thing is, when you do the, one of the things that's the, things I didn't want to deal with is the, the dropout penalty. Is when you have um, when you're matching with the reverse bang, the matchups are done first. There there is nothing happening until the matchups happen. So some you have to have art. You have people have to pick get their art and know what their art is in order to get going. So you've got to get that that part started. And so you've got the issue of does all the art get claimed? If art isn't claimed, what do you do if you have more artists than authors? You know, there's all these variable rules. And then you have if somebody claims art and they drop out, well, then what? Do you get a pinch hitter? Do you put it back up? Do you let people sign up again? Do people claim a second art? Do you just let it go to another bang? Do you give the artist the option of just submitting it next year? Um, and then the question of does the person who dropped out after claiming art get to participate in the challenge again? Because most challenges have rules about what happens if you drop out after a certain point. And reverse bangs, it's after you claim art. There's usually a penalty. Because you've, you've basically claimed art that somebody else couldn't claim, and then you dropped out. So whereas with a bang, the dropout penalty, if there is one, is so far down the road that it doesn't really matter. Um, usually the dropout penalty with a bang occurs if you submit a rough draft and somebody does art for you and then you drop out. They might not want you to participate again. But that's rare because who writes a rough draft and then drops out of the challenge? But anyway, so... An um, asshole, and they would definitely get punished. <laughs> yes. But it's so it's so much less common, whereas reverse bang, because you know you get a much higher dropout percentage... Because it the matchup happens early on, and the penalty the penalty phase is so early in the cycle that you're going to get more dropouts, and it just was not an administrative burden that I wanted to take on personally. Um, and I know I know I've you know seen you know Chestnut does one. I admire her fortitude in doing that. She's mentioning some problems she's had with dropouts. Um, so I like bangs personally. As a, as a writer, I like bangs better than reverse bangs. As an artist, I like bangs better than reverse bangs, even though I will happily participate in both. So when it came time to I want to run a multi-fandom bang of some sort, the 
Big Bang was an obvious choice for me. But anything I said last night was not intended to diss people who like reverse bangs. It was nothing about that. So if I offended anybody, that was certainly not my intention. Um, It was not my intention to diss reverse bangs. There are some issues with them. And if if you've participated in reverse bangs and you've not seen those issues, you've had a very smooth process because they're not invisible to me. They're a much, I find them a tougher challenge. So that's what I wanted to do. And I just would hope that nobody would take my personal preferences personally because I don't hold anybody else's personal preferences against them. I do. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm the asshole. It depends upon the preference. (laughs) Right? Right? Because I'm a judgy bitch. And here, you know, here's the thing. Um, Nobody is required to like what you like, and nobody is required to be polite about discussing what they like and don't like. Um, and your hurt feelings aren't our responsibility. Yeah. Um, if so I'm talk judging about, something, I'm judging it harder. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true. That's probably true. But if I'm ju- being judgy about something. If I'm being judgy about something, I am straight up clear I'm going to own it, that I am judging the fuck out of you about something. But if I just – I think sometimes people get kind of twisted up inside because they feel like I'm judging them when I say I don't like something. We need to just kind of – you guys have got to move past that. Because if I don't – if I'm not telling you that I got the knickers of judgment on, it's just my personal preference, and it shouldn't be that anybody should feel any kind of way about it. So I do, I do judge the underage stuff. I'm judgy as hell about that, and I've been straight up and I've owned it. I'm very judgy about RPF. I'm not judging you personally, probably. It depends on maybe. It depends on I, I don't. I, the people RPF. I try not to judge people personally about it, but I am judgy as fuck about the about the about that genre. Um, but when it comes to underage, yeah, I, I can be pretty judgy all the way around about it but I've always been really clear about my preferences there and how I feel about it so uh, and the same way about fetishized rape so um, you're fe- if, when people fetishize lack of consent I think that's gross so if that's your thing and you're feeling judged well I don't know quit liking good, rape, good. Erotic, rape you know but um, if I say I don't like um, Tony Ziva you know, I just don't like that pairing. Okay, Canon liked it. Feel validated and move on. But I do want to ask you how you reconcile her emotional and physical abuses um, in the pairing. Just saying. I wouldn't mind hearing that too, but... <laughs> I'm just, you know, to, I don't actually want free to, to go there. me about it because I... Don't give a shit. Um, but I'm curious how you reconcile that. We're going to talk about short story world building. And it is different than, you know, when you have a lot of room to, to world build. Because in short story construction, when, when you're limited to 20K, which I think is a skill we all must learn, 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 learn um, to control our world economics. It is super important to your craft. Um, and again, if you're not interested in learning this, we're not talking to you. 
If you're not here you for it, you. you're not here for it. So we're talking about people who want to learn how to do this, not those who, you know, don't. Okay? So it's that's our audience. Okay? Um, and eventually, sometime during the podcast, I'm pretty sure we'll discuss butt sex if you're just here for that. Okay. Okay. Julie, what are your thoughts? What's your first go-to solution when you're when you're getting ready to to do world building for a short story? What's your first decision? Um, the first decision for the world building. Hmm. Well, when it comes to world building for short stories, I look really heavily at complexity. Um, because you don't have the words to have a really complex world building. Um. And every time I've tried, it's bit me in the ass. So, um, <laughs> the most complex world building I ever put into a short story was in Primus. And as I was writing, I was cutting the story down because just dealing with the world building was taking more words than I wanted it to. Um, and there's a whole element of the world building that, of course, never got revealed in that first story. And I always intended it to be a series of stories, but the first story wound up being um, um, a lot longer than I – long because it was over the word limit as it was, and I cut half the plot out. So – yeah, so you know, you have. I really and I really like the world building for that story. So I wouldn't shortchange the world building or change the world building to make it more simple because I think that that world building was necessary for that story, but it wasn't suitable for a short story challenge in the end. Even though I thought I could make it work, um, so that is something. That my my first thing I look at with world building for a short story is is how complex it is and how well and it's not just how complex it is because sentinel world building in general is complex but you're counting on the audience to know the tropes Um, right but is it complex in a way that you have to explain it's how much of the world needs to be explained because you know all the world building you have to explain you need you know x times the amount of story to counteract that exposition basically so I, I look at com- one of the things I would consider first when looking at world building is complexity. Um, is it too complex for a short story? And there's a lot of factors that go into what my, my criteria of what is too complicated, which is what cuts out most of the Harry Potter stories, right? Right. Hmm. Is the world building just, I'm a glutton you know, I'm yeah, a glutton you are. <laughs> But most of, for me, but most of the Harry Potter ideas you had, we um, had would have had really complicated world building. Oh, you right. said on two that they had really complicated scenario. Um, the thing is, is that when I'm um, when I'm building a short story, um, my my first um, my first pass at the plot is um, very much like the same way that I would plot an episode in my episode series work that I do with Sentinels of Atlantis or even with Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bomb, which was written in episode format. It's about event and consequences. Um, And if you center yourself on a single event, 
and explore those consequences. You can shape a short story around that. And so for me, my struggle most often comes in the world building with Harry Potter because I put too much into it. Uh, And my other biggest issue in short story construction is that I often put my climax in a really awkward place. Um, and I, I'm aware that I do it, but that I keep doing it. So this is, this is a learning process for everybody. And, my, and so, so when my, when my climax is in an awkward place and then I have a really long drop into the falling action, which Sometimes, if I'm not careful, I build back up, and then suddenly I've, I've hit 25K. <laughs> if my falling action is too long, I'm building a new mountain. <laughs> yeah, you started going up again. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. We're, we're supposed to be pitching a tent here, not starting a new climb. So those are my issues um, that I often put my climax in an awkward place. And um, that uh, I spend a lot of time um, in concrete world building. And it, it, it always leads me astray in Harry Potter. Because Harry Potter is, so, is, is, is ripe for that kind of um, story building. Yeah. Well, and, and, There's just and, a lot of room. And when it comes to the short story stuff, it all depends upon what kind of short. If plotting a short story, we did last year episodes is a lot easier for me to contain in short story mm-hmm. format than. Um, I would agree. Than Sentinel is because depending upon what you're inserting Sentinel into, the fusion can really require a lot of words. And Harry Potter is one of those ones where that fusion, because you're looking at a really the sentinel as it exists is a con- basically contemporary it's basically kind of a contemporary crime series with um paranormal overtones but it's pretty contemporary setting and it's kind of the kind of world building that you can fuse into kind of any contemporary setting relatively easily based upon its canon but when you fuse that into something that's got a complicated paranormal um, or sci-fi canon of its own, it gets a little bit more complex because you have a ripple effect of what does it mean that there are sentinels and guides in this universe where people already have other abilities or where there's technology or where there's big secrets. Putting sentinels and guides in a universe where you've got the big secret is implicitly complicated world building, like Stargate. You know, how do you keep Stargate, um, werewolves, um, ghosts, any of that stuff, secret from Sentinels. You don't. That's what, so what you have to do magical is people. create treaty situations um, wherein communities that want to hide from general society seek out Sentinels um, which would have in the past required the creation of sentinel organizations. And this is how you can build up your, um, your center or your foundation um, for um, sentinel matters. It's because other societies who don't want to be in the public eye sought them out and they needed to organize in order to maintain these, um, 
treaty relationships that they were, that they had to create for, you know, circumstances. So like with the magical world, you know, they said, look, you know, we know you exist and you know we exist, but we don't want them to know we exist. <laughs> because they've been burning at the stake for a while. Here's the thing about a sentinel. A, a sentinel is, is, is elementally designed to protect, to shelter. So it would make sense for them to want to shelter others. And to protect others, including magical people or werewolves or vampires or whatever they may be. So they would not be opposed from an instinctual level of offering these these special populations protection and that and that would include their secret. Right. And a good way to gloss over that is just to mention the treaty in passing. Well the treaty of eighteen twenty six says this, this, and this about Sentinel God interactions with the magical world. You know, and then you've established that there's a, a legal relationship that goes back quite a while. You pick a date, whatever. Um, and you don't have to worry about it. You, your reader will kind of spin that out for you. And you and you used one sentence to establish the secrecy. Right. Which is great fusion. That's great fusion world building. Um, but you got to figure any time you plug um, the Sentinel into a universe that is like that, where you're going to need that, you've got to f- account for words that impact short story plotting. Um, there are also concepts that you can bring in that are cataclysmic to short stories. Um, one of them is the corrupt Sentinel. Um, I always write that when sentinels go bad, that they very quickly go dormant, that corrupt sentinels basically do not exist in society. And the reason is because if corrupt sentinels are a thing and they're running around out there abusing their powers for criminal gain, that is a lot of words you're going to have to explain how your universe deals with that because nobody's going to trust sentinels. And, I find the idea of, of a corrupt. It is. I mean, think about it. it is. It, you want to talk about blowing up your plot, and the thing is, if you don't address it, you've just you've got then you've got suspension disbelief issue. Um. So, if you want to challenge the idea of Sentinel as protector, Sentinels is inherently a force for good. You are. I wouldn't do it in a short story, personally. I wouldn't have a corrupt Sentinel in a short story. Now. People can have, it doesn't mean they're all operating under the same notion of good and evil kind of thing, because the point is they protect their tribe. So they can have different motivations. That's not, I'm not talking about that, but just the general idea of a corrupt sentinel, like working for the mafia or something. Um, the society as a whole is not going to trust these people, and you've created a, a difficulty for yourself that you have to address. And that's words. That's words. Don't give yourself difficult. That's world building words. Don't give yourself difficulties in when you're doing a short story. Don't give yourself obstacles, even if it seems like it'd be a fun idea to play with. Um, now we're mostly talking about sentinels and guides are known universes. If you're talking about a sentinel guides are not known universe, a lot of these problems go away because the person in the hiding is the sentinel or the guide, sentinel and guide. But then you have words devoted to their secrecy, and it's very Jim Blair-esque. 
And you have to explain how they keep that secrecy. And maintaining that secrecy is going to destroy your word economics. <laughs> yeah, There's a reason like why the vast majority of the responses to this challenge end up being bonding fixed in the Sentinel God known known universe. Because when you, when you only have 20,000 words, it seems like a lot, but it's not. And then no. you're like, no, you, you can't hide a secret do a thing, have an event, and have consequences in in 20K? Well, you could do it, but you couldn't do it well. Yeah, I've seen people pack stuff in um, that are just, it's like, whoa. Um, And that is a judgment. Um, When you rush your story, you're doing your story and yourself a disservice. And if you and made a mistake going into the challenge and say, okay, this idea really isn't 20K. So you write your 20K, call it part two, and move on to the next one. <laughs> call it part one, and then move on to your next story. And then after the challenge, you say, okay, this, this didn't work out this way, but we're going to do this with it. You know, and that's perfectly okay to realize that. It's not okay to, to dump the ending of your story. Yeah, I've had it happen. I've had it happen most of our most of our Sentinel challenges. I think I think one year I didn't have a problem. I got all the men under under word count. Um, but I got the men under word count, and I think two of them needed work afterwards because I had failed to plan something properly, and I changed course in the challenge. But I wasn't prepared to post the story as I had written it for the challenge. So. Um, that happens, and it's perfectly okay. Yeah, you just do, do it. That's that's the thing about a rough draft challenge is it doesn't always go right. Um, some people are a lot more transparent about it going wrong than I am, and I like when we have a participant that puts placeholders in for names or. They go, I don't have any idea what I'm doing with this world-building element. They put a note in, like, I'm going to figure this out later, just pretend like it's there or whatever. I actually really admire that because I I don't do that well. I will get wrapped around the axle over not having figured something out rather than just treat it like a real rough draft. Um, so the people who get online and just put it out there as a true rough draft, and they put in things in brackets and go, I'll figure this name out later. I'll figure this world building element out later. And they don't let anything slow them down. They don't, because they like my writing time, they treat like I've got limited writing time and I'm not going to get wrapped around the axle and stuff. That is, I just, I just so admire that. I so admire that they just put it out there like that. It is. You got like, this is a rough draft. Damn it. You're getting a rough draft. Whereas I try to make it look, you know, I try to, I'll get wrapped around the axle and waste time replotting and stuff as I'm making, as I, you know, as opposed to just, Letting the mistake land, <laughs> and then I'm working on it <laughs> later. Going, it, it, people are going, where's the story? I'm like, well, it wasn't right. <laughs> so shit happened. You know, it was it was terrible. Shit happened. So, but if you can let if you if you can put it out there that um, shit happened, and just let it be and just keep going. I mean, totally props. You have my admiration. It is a rough draft challenge, and 
that you're treating it like that is being good for you. I will the often next time get I get distracted by research. <clears throat> yeah. The next time I get stuck Not on a name, I'm a, <laughs> <laughs> the, next, but the next time I get stuck on a name, I'm determined that I'm just going to put it in brackets, you know, OC name one, female OC one. <laughs> Some awesome writer in the last challenge kept naming her house elves, like house elf one and house elf two. House elf two. Yeah, it's like I'm not stopping to figure out these fucking names. And um, I was okay. like, I, 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 I love that because, I mean, the bitches know that I will have total meltdowns about names. <laughs> I'll, I'll, just, I'll just go into chat and make, have, like, put some sticker up of somebody who's, like, died and go, oh, I hate names. <laughs> <laughs> She gets all knee deep in it. Well, this actually means this, and so I can't use that because it has it has this terrible meaning. <laughs> like she's naming her baby. <laughs> yeah, my, baby, my exactly my baby. <laughs> well, the thing about names is names can get entrenched in my head, and if they're wrong, they aren't gelling. It can really stall me. So even if it's a minor character, but the idea of just putting OC1 in brackets or something, that kind of cracks me up because that might actually work. But on the other hand, the last time I did a challenge where I got wrapped up in actual names, I promised myself I was not going into the challenge again with a long list of OCs who didn't have names yet. (laughs) Because that that leaves nowhere good for me. Going into the challenge naming needing to name a bunch of shit does not work well. Um, but when, also when it comes to mecha- story mechanics, make sure you don't have more world building than plot. Um, yeah. I want to have, when it comes to in- Sentinel, we all, I feel like we all are striving for like something original, some original element doing something unique. I mean, I get the I get the urge, but down that path in a short story can lead to more world building than plot. If you have the desire to write a giant ass sentinel story, I would like to point out to you that we have two upcoming challenges that would more than meet that need. You can do nano or you can sign up for the Quantum Bang and make your main hero a Sentinel. <laughs> there you go. And then you can write a hundred K of Sentinel fic if you want to. <laughs> you do you. You do you. Get it make it as original as you want, bust out everything you've never been able to do in a short story. But trying to cram a ton of world building into a short story means you are not putting in a lot of story. Hmm. 
we do have a lot of challenges going on, and I think it's and for me, it it's a simple thing. I write every day. If you're a writer, you write every. I mean, you should write every day, um, because your craft. Um, you need to. I mean, you need to give yourself time for your craft, and so structuring these challenges encourages writing, um, and and that's the point. People will say, "Oh, well, it's just fan fiction, and you're just wasting your time." Fuck you. <laughs> if it's creative, not a waste of time. If it makes you happy, it is not a waste of time. And if you've got somebody in your life who poo-poos you on, you know, the whole fan fiction thing, the next time they ask you what you're doing, you can just tell them, "I'm doing something that makes me happy." And then watch them flail and try to deconstruct that. Because they can tell you to your face, oh, you're wasting your time writing fan fiction. But it's going to get real awkward them trying to tell you you're wasting your time being happy. Yeah. And, you know, if you only wrote 50,000 words a year, for if, if you, in order to write 50,000 words in one year, you would need to write 136 words a day. It doesn't have to be perfect, but anyway, you can bang out 136 words. That's so it. even the slowest writers words. who participate in the Phantom Bang. I mean, if you could if you could write 200 words a day, you're set. Yeah, Just start doing it. Pick a plot. Start doing it. Write write 150 words a day. That's a paragraph. A fairly long paragraph, actually, but it is a paragraph. Um, and it, 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 it's not anything you show anybody. You, you can do just something every day. Now, when it comes to um, to world building versus plot, um, I, when I was younger, I had a problem um, plotting. I had a problem because I would often my plot would feel shallow. So what I did um, is that I started splitting the um, the plot up into two parts. There would be the external plot, which is your event timeline. These are the events that I need to have happen. Um, the Well, first, okay, first, establish your character's goals. Establish what motivates them. Establish who they are establish the conflict. What is preventing them from getting their goal? GMC, goals, motivation, and conflict, is that is the foundation of your story. Who your character is, that's the foundation of your um, of your whole world. Because your character, your POV character, your main POV character, shapes the reader perspective of the world. And we've talked before about how Harry Potter is told from the point of view of the least curious child ever created. (laughs) (laughs) Thus, we learn very little about the magical world because Harry literally doesn't give a shit. Otherwise, I think I think if we learned if if we just if we did read Harry Potter from the perspective of Hermione, we'd have known about flying fucking horses before fourth year. 
Oh, yeah. And the books have been twice <laughs> as long. <laughs> I'm just saying. So, okay. So, because that shapes everything. Decide their goals, motivation, and their conflict. Then you write your external plot. And your external plot is just a list of physical events that take place in your world. What your character does, what gets done to him, who's doing it, and the end result. After that is done, go back over your event plot and insert your internal plot on top of it. And your internal plot, your internal motivational plot, is your character's responses to individual events. How, what do they do? How do they feel? What's it make them want to do next? And then you can blend. You blend your world building, your external plot, and your internal plot together, and you have a cohesive unit. This sounds like a lot of fucking work, but if you're having a hard time with world building versus plot, it is the best way to accomplish the balance. Now, the thing is, so you can build really interesting worlds that have no plot attached to them. I've done, I have, I've got ideas for world building that I would sit down and bang out world building. I've got probably five or six really intricate world buildings done that have no real story attached to them. And here's, that's not a problem in, 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 in kind of in an abstract sense, but when it comes to story completion, it's a problem, and here's why. Um, your world needs to meet the needs of your plot, not the other way around. So if you've crafted an intricate world first, and then you, you can't suddenly find a plot that fits that world, well... That actually wouldn't surprise me all that much um, because there's not a story driving that world. That's probably why I have these intricately created worlds that have no story attached to them is because there's no story that really fits that world. But if you craft a world to fit the story you want to tell, then your plot is driving your world building. And then the world building is really dynamic and it, it's really dynamic and it's enmeshed in your plot as opposed to, I mean, I may someday come up with a great plot for some of those worlds, but it hasn't happened yet. And some of these worlds are, you know, 2018 years old. The oldest ones I created in 2000, really big intricate world, big sci-fi intricate world, sci-fi world building. There's no plot attached to it. You know, is it? But is it really any different than taking a fan fiction world and sticking your own story in it? I think it depends. Um, a fan fiction world. I mean, well, yeah, because there's characters, right? I mean, one of the things, the thing that drives, the thing that often drives, at least for me, is I'm more of a character-driven writer. When it comes to fan fiction, is I find a character or a situation to latch onto that I want to work from. And then I can insert them in all kinds of worlds. So okay, but so if I take your world, favorite fan fiction character and sticking it stick it in one of those worlds you built. Write a yeah, story around that. your favorite fan fiction character, then set it aside. Don't share it with anybody. Six months from now, I'll read it again, 
you've established a character set in the world. You've established so now you're looking at a piece of fan fiction, and then you can try to insert your OCs into it. Yeah, yeah, that would work. I mean, it's just you know. Now, I tend to build my characters first, like what I just outlined. I build a character first. Um, it's really foreign to think the idea of building a world first. I think I'd fall down a rabbit hole if I tried, so I won't be going there. <laughs> I think I'd have the same problem you do. <laughs> I mean, it depends upon what kind of, I guess, what kind of writer you are. Um, I have, Sometimes I've read stories where I feel like the writer is world-driven, not character or plot-driven. Um, mm-hmm. and that's fine. There's all, there's room for all different types, right? I'm tend to be more of a character and then plot and then write and then world. I mean, sometimes they're all really necessary. Like you really need the world on top of everything else, but because of my orientation, um, as being a character driven writer, I, I need that character motivation. I need that internal plot first. To, I, to, to build an idea. Because if I can get an idea, wouldn't it be a fascinating world to do this? But if I can't attach a character motivation to that fascinating world, it almost always, world world before plot almost always fizzles on me. Not not always always, but almost always. I'm trying I to imagine it. It's working. very uncomfortable. It's weird. Because basically it's saying, yeah. it basically be saying, okay, Here's the world building for Stargate. We're going to strip all of the Stargate people out, okay? No familiar characters. But you've got a Stargate, and you've got all these ghouls, and here's all the background, the world building. No Jack, no Daniel, no, no, no. Now make, now make a story. But don't make the Stargate story. Just make a story, right? It's weird. Because it's not the way, you know, it's not the way I, my typical craft process is. Um, every once in a while, I do get an idea for a world that has no plot or character attached to it, really. Or sometimes it's got a character attached to it, but that character's not doing anything. There's no plot. It's just, well, I if think my problem in that world... With synthetic is I put the wrong characters in. What do you mean? I think with synthetic, because I did, you know, it, it was a character first, um, but then when I got into it, when I started writing it, I... There's something missing in synthetic, and I don't know what it is. And I don't want your opinion, you guys. <laughs> that goes back to the whole thing about like trusting my process. I don't need um, input on that. Um, I'll figure it out. Um, so th- there's something. There's something. There's no balance in synthetic, and I don't know what it is, but I'll figure it out. And I and I do wonder if I put the wrong characters, if I put those characters in a situation where either I started too soon or I started too late. Mm-hmm. But synthetic um, is a perfect example of what I'm talking about, was that you you created a world because you were, needed to do something, and you were avoiding plotting. Yeah, so but I created my characters it's, it's, first. Well, you had the characters, yeah. You had the characters first, and then yeah. you created a world, and then you figured your plot out. Um, but it just, it, it, I think it was so foreign to your own process to have such an intricate world built 
and then try to insert a plot into it. But I mean, I don't know. Um, I have more problems with Revenant trying to pants than I did with synthetic. I shared a lot of my world building um, with, I, um, I pants Revenant. Oh, Oh, that's right. I remember that now. Much to my deep regret. Oh, it wasn't total pantsing. <laughs> but it was as much pantsing as I would ever allow myself to do on purpose. Now, I have totally pantsed in a moment of inspiration, but to plan to pants was a deal breaker. Yeah, it's weird. Planned pantsing is weird because pantsing is, like you said, it is a it's a dynamic, creative moment. Or you're like, I've got an idea and I need to get it down right now. And it just, sometimes for me, when, it, when dynamic pantsing, sudden pantsing happens, it is, it's like I'm trying to take notes and I can't help but write. It's like I try right. to write down my notes on this. I want to write down my plot on this before I forget it. And all of the next thing I know, there's 10,000 10 words there, 15,000. Yeah. I'm like, um, how does this happen? <laughs> but oh, to plan to do that, story it, there. that just... That doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, if, yeah. I know, if yeah, I know, it me up. If, the only way I could do that is if I didn't know anything about it until the day of, and that would make make my anxiety so high I wouldn't be able to deal. Okay, Jackie like said, if I didn't know the I have a problem trying to figure out what my end game is for the story. Like I start with a situation scene that's really inspiring, and I try to figure out the ramifications of it, but I have such trouble working out where it's going to end. That's what your external plot is for. That's that's where you meet your um. Your um, your events and your story, um, all the way down the line to the end, where you have your event, um, ramifications of the consequences, uh, response and resolution. Hmm. Whether it's just five sentences written down or not, to give yourself a a frame. So that is. I'm going to try to frame that in a different way. If you have a hard okay. time, if you thought you have an inspiring idea, um, I work with a few pantsers who are trying to reform, and it might be a different <laughs> different mentality. And I've tried to ask them the same question in different ways to see what gels, right? So when you're trying to figure out what your end game is and you've got this source of inspiration, ask yourself, what is the purpose of this story? What is the point of it? And if the purpose is a romance, then the purpose is them getting together. Now, you might have a plot around that that feeds, that brings them together, but that might be your purpose. Don't discount romance as a purpose, because I've had, had many conversations with people where they've discounted <laughs> The romance is the purpose of their story. Okay, that can that's that can be the purpose. That's what the whole genre is. Romance is getting together. So, ask yourself, what is the point? That is your end game. Okay, if the point of your story is romance, then that is your end game. If the point of your story is figuring out who killed, you know, your main character's mother, that is the point of your story. So, you've got to figure out what your purpose is what are you trying to accomplish and 
that's your end game. And from there, you've got this source of inspiration and you figure out what your purpose is. And then what you're doing with your plot is you're trying to connect those two things. And you have the internal motivation and the external motivation, but you have to know, you have to be able to answer that question. What am I trying to accomplish? What is the end game for this character? And whatever way, if you build to it with external, external motivation, or you come up with a, um, an outline, a list of events about how you're going to get from point A to point B, if you can't answer the question, what am I trying to accomplish with this story? What point is it? What is the purpose of it? then it's true, you have no end game. You're just in an and-then mode. You're just adding events on trying to find something. Even if you're pantsing from point A to point Z, you need to know what the purpose is. And in a Sentinel Guide story, the purpose may be bonding. That may be the point. That's fine. But just know it. And then how do you get there? Hey, Ellie, what you've done is is that you have um, you've exceeded the limits of a short story format. Ellie says in the chat room, I don't normally plot much, so I was trying in my first story and finally finished the plotting, and I realized it's the first of a three-part arc because it will take that long to solve all of the problems but the problems are outside the main plot of the first story. A short story doesn't have subplots. A short story doesn't have an extended cast. The more people you put on the board, the more they're going to eat at your word count. So if they don't serve your main plot, they don't need to be in your story. If this scene doesn't serve your main plot, it doesn't need to be in the story. Because a short story or a short story is a single problem. And the resolution of that problem, consequences, ramifications, etc. At least that's how I view it. Um, and I'm not always successful at keeping my word count short that way, but I know that if I go into a plot and I've got um, I've got 20 questions to answer, that I'm not looking at a short story. So if each problem in your plot is a question and you've got 15 questions, then you don't have a short story. You have a novel, <laughs> yeah. which is perfectly fine. But I would be lucky to answer two questions in 20K. Now, sometimes it's hard to break some of this down in the abstract. Like, um, it's hard sometimes when somebody says, like, the, the question that we just had in the chat. It's hard in the abstract to know exactly how to answer the issue. But I'll tell you that. With the, with my and then or trying to find the end of stories, the person who mentored me the most in writing, I had this really had done a lot of work on this story. It was, and I couldn't figure out where the end was. Um, 
I was sort of a hybrid at that time, plotter pantser. So I didn't have a clear goal in mind really when I would start, but I knew kind of a lot of subplots and the overall plot arc. And it was like, I had all the world building done, all the characters, but there was like this, a lot of stuff pants too. And so I've explained her my problems with the story and I'm explaining this character arc to her and um, I'm explaining where the story is going and these subplots and da, da, da. And she's intently kind of following along and saying, okay, that sounds really good or whatever. And then when I said, I'm kind of stuck, and she said, and she kind of tipped her head aside, and she said, what's the point? I said, what do you mean? She says, what are you trying to do? What is the point of all of that? You've got all of this that you put together. What is the point of it? And I just took off my mouth hanging open because I couldn't answer the question. Because I didn't know. Because I had never figured out what the point of my story was. And a good way to, to pick up this skill, to find your own point, is to read others' works and find their point. Like, read a story and ask yourself, what was the point of that story? And deconstructing somebody else's work, especially something really well written, can really be beneficial to you as a writer. Don't do it to their face, obviously. <laughs> Don't, don't take apart their word baby in front of them. No. But analyzing somebody else's work and seeing how they construct their question, how they answer the question, and what the point of their story is will be very beneficial to you as a writer. Now, I will say that I have plotted stories that had a beginning, middle, and an end. It had a character arc, and it had no point. <laughs> I have done this. Where I was like, shut Something feels wrong. It felt flat. And the reason it felt flat is because it had no point. There was no purpose other than telling, going through this very basic plot. And that's not, to me, I need a point in a story. I mean, that's what I'm latching on to. Um, and the point isn't necessarily the climax. Okay. That climax of the story has nothing to do with the point purpose of it okay it might be that the point is achieved in the climax but if the point of a story is a character for instance in the in in for me the point in um memories the gibbs kind of character study i did the point of that was gibbs kind of coming into a more mature place it was him growing into um understanding, kind of accepting that he could be wrong. It was sort of Rule 51, accepting his screw-up and fixing it and prioritizing somebody else. So the whole point was Gibbs' growth. That was the point of the story of somebody growth. And there was a plot that served that point, but you can easily, the climax of the story sort of illustrated that he had hit that point. Um, it showed that he was there, but the overarching um, arc of the story was not necessarily embedded. In the, the climax is not necessarily where that happened. Now, if the point of your story is um, for a couple to get together, a sentinel guide to get together, um, be careful about that point. If you have them bonding in the first 2,000 words, uh, and that's your point, well, what are you doing with the other 18K? Or 13K. Right. 
that's why it's, it's important to know because you do want your point to be either saturated throughout the story or kind of culminates at the climax of the story with your purposes. But when it hits right at the beginning, when your climax hits right at the up front, or rather I should say your point is realized right up front, what are you doing with the other 13 to 18K? It's, it's something that you should kind of analyze. Let's do some examples, uh, uh, more examples. Um, for Ascendant, the point, which is my Sentinel Guide uh, mothership story from last year. Was that last year? Ascendant. The point was two years ago that Tony, Steve, had to get to the point where he was willing to outright say that he needed Tony. But more importantly, Tony had to let go of the work he was doing for um, for NCIS. That was the point. They both had things, they had baggage to discard. Admitting, I need you, and admitting, I no longer need this, I can come with you. And it was a beautiful point. It was well made. But that point Thank you. that you built to was building through the whole story, and that was in the internal character motivation. Um, mm-hmm. At least that's the way I read it. But your point may mm-hmm. be in an external event. It may be an external plot event, like a solving a crime. Um, but you, the writer just has to know. And your climax was the culmination of that point, but the, 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 that point was saturated through the whole story. But it wasn't the theme. <laughs> the, the theme was um, trust. Yeah, that was a story that was really entrenched in trust. I, yeah. Birth of the Serpent King. Um the point's in the title. The point is that Harry has to accept and embrace his parcel magic and his relationship with snakes. So all through the story, there are moments where he, where you see him getting more comfortable with um, with his parcel magic, with his animagus form. Um, and I brought home the point for me as the writer when Harry was in the Slytherin common room and that metal guardian snake comes up off the door and he doesn't hesitate to take it, to, um, to pick it up and to speak to it in front of all those other kids in Slytherin. There's no hesitation. There's no worry about judgment. He just takes it. And he's amused by it, and he gives it to Draco. Like it's just the most casual, natural thing he could possibly do. And that was his birth as the Serpent King. But the theme of the Serpent King is, is sacrifice. 
Do you know I always read Birth of the Serpent King on a plane? Whenever I'm doing a long plane trip, I read it. Really? I, don't, I need to edit I don't that know what shit. That's about. Damn, it is full of typos and stuff. Um, well, next time I'm down for it, next time I'm ready to reread, I will let you know ahead of time and see if you want me to beta it, give, you, give it a once over yeah. on the typo front. That would be good um, because I actually wanted to start working on the, um, part two, which is Dragon Rising. Um, and so, Snakes on a Plane. You know, right? It's, it's, in, it's in the title. Um, you know, in some of my stories, the point is also embedded in the title. Um, um, all your reasons. Let's talk about if found. If found. Oh, um, the point of that story was Tony not just find, certainly finding his real family, but the point of the story, which that's the one where it is the point is actually fully realized in the last page is him accepting his family, something new and good for himself, and letting go. It's not just about him having family. That's the plot. Him finding him family is the plot. The point is accepting it. Which is an entirely different animal. Yeah, completely. Because people can throw family at you. It doesn't mean you're... And he, because he's damaged emotionally. So, um, now I have another story where the point is realized on in the first like a thousand words, and the rest of the story is trying to. Um, which okay, so that was everything they said, which was the first mothership story I wrote. Um, the point of the story was Steve, who didn't really want a guide. He was kind of, you know, lackadaisical about it, sort of a laissez-faire kind of attitude about having a guide. He wasn't really interested in pursuing it. Um, and the point of the story was him, because um, he didn't really believe that the things he'd said about, everything he'd heard about a guide was true, because he didn't really need a guide, he didn't feel. So all the things he'd heard didn't mean anything to him. And so the point was him realizing that, the, that, that it, was, it was all true. And the first time, the first moment he smelled his guide, got scent of him. His world changed, and he spent the whole story chasing getting that thing because he found out in that moment that the things he'd heard that he had dismissed were true. And so the point was him having that epiphany and accepting it. And then the climax was him getting his guide back, rescuing his guide. But the, the, the point was him truly accepting the truth of all of that and really accepting wanting that and going after it with everything he has. But that moment when he, when the point of the story occurred was the minute he first smelled his guide, which is somewhere like the first 1,000 or 1,500 words, I think. It's the fastest I ever get to the point in a story. (laughs) (laughs) Boom, done. (laughs) But I threw a big old kid, I threw a big old kidnapping in there, um, you know, because plot. (laughs) Um, another one um, that is it's embedded in the title. The point is every is all your reasons. Um, Tony Bruce um, is because Bruce has a lot of reasons to not want to be close to anybody. 
Like probably more than anybody ever in any any fictional character has more reasons. Yeah. To not want to be close close and intimate with somebody. He's got a lot of reasons. And the point of the story is him getting past it. The way he gets past it is a little bit of bullshit. But um he accepts it's also that it's a little bit of bullshit. Um but that was the point of the story was him getting past his reasons for not wanting to let anybody close. Um, the climax was when he found out that his reasons were bullshit. So uh, <laughs> when he found out that actually his partner, who he had been avoiding, had more reasons than he did, that was sort of the climax of the story. It sort of like, you know, invalidated all of his crap. That was sort of where the climax of the story was. But, um, you know, it's just climax and point can be intertwined, but they aren't necessarily intertwined. Because you can realize the point of your story at the climax, but the point of your story actually might just be the thread that connects everything together. It could be the character arc, the journey the character goes on. As opposed to, see, that's why you have to know what kind of story you're telling. Are you telling something that's character, kind of character-focused, character-driven? Then the point needs to be about the character. Is your story heavily plot-driven, not romance-focused or whatever? Then your point of the story is the case they're solving or whatever. Um, but you need to know what you're trying to, what you're trying to do. What is your purpose with this story? Is it a romance? Is it, is it a crime drama? Is it... And to a little bit of a degree, you are deriving some of your point from your genre. Not entirely, but some. I mean, so just to people who, so people who, are, and then that whole spiel is people who are having a hard time finding their, the end of their story, is understand what purpose you're serving will help you find your end. Because purpose can be about plot, it can be about character arc, but if you're if you've satisfied your purpose and let's say in a character arc, then all this other stuff you're doing, the and thening that you're doing isn't serving the purpose of your story. And that's where if you understand your purpose, you can analyze your plot choices and say, does this serve my purpose? Or am I and thening myself? Sometimes I have to ask myself, okay, does this scene actually serve my purpose or is this just from vanity? And if it's vanity, I'm I'm willing to own that if I enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. To the point where I'm bloating my work. Because I do like to write a very tight, concise story. But there are scenes in everything that I write. There are... Um, more about amusing myself than serving my plot. And I yeah, accept I that. do the same thing. Yeah. But when it comes to complicated subplots, I see writers get really wrapped up in complicated subplots, and I'll get to the end of the story and go, I don't understand what any of that, how any of that started the story. Or giving every character a point of view. Um, I read a... We don't give a shit what Hedwig thinks. Yeah, I read a really, really Unless long, crime story. <laughs> yes, then we care. Um, 
I read a really long, complicated story recently where um, it was an MCU story. Um, and there's a lot of stories that do this. So I'm not picking on any one particular story. I just this particular one I was reading where the purpose was really clear. The plot was really clear where it was going. It was a character arc about Tony Stark. Okay, so that was really clear. It was super obvious. And yet every event was gone over in every character's point of view every member of the team Avengers, every one of them. And even people who were new to the team had a point of view. Discuss, thinking about the events that were unfolding, none of that served the purpose of the story. And it actually it defocused it to such a degree that it took an interesting story arc and made it kind of a hot mess. Boring. Yeah, I mean, I was skipping because it, I didn't care. I was skipping chapters from so-and-so's point of view because, A, it was rehashing stuff that we'd already seen in Tony's point of view, and because I didn't care. After about 50K of this, uh, and this is like several hundred thousand words, after, you know, so many thousand words of this, I I only cared about – it was clear whose story this was. It was clear – what the arc was, the author laid that out really well. All these other point of views were just not, they were just, who cared? So I wasn't even reading them. So I got through, I got through, <laughs> I, this, I got through this really long story, epic and record time, because I wasn't reading these other points of view. And they were conveniently labeled. So, you know, <laughs> I don't like the labeling, but I did in that story. <laughs> well, I don't actually care what Hedwig thinks. Azure desperately cares what Hedwig thinks. <laughs> so I'd share that with you guys. Just I want to give all perspective. I did read a story once like- where Hedwig time travels, and during the shopping trip, she made Harry buy her this little this little thing in the potion shop that uh, she she ate and made him eat one so they could talk to each other. And then she made him get her um, a uh, a magical add-on so she could shoot laser beams out of her eyes. <laughs> Obviously, it was crack, but it was fantastic crack. So anytime she encountered somebody she didn't like, etc., um, she laser-eyed them. <laughs> Oh, I like that. There's a I'm reading um I'm reading an MCU right I'm reading a whip in MCU which I don't do very often, but I was intrigued by the idea of it. Um and the premise is that Jarvis sort of wakes up in some fashion during the events of Infinity War. Um, which if you've seen um Edge of Ultron, you know Jarvis doesn't really exist anymore. What was left of him when in division but that some backup of Jarvis kind of reconstructed himself or something um, mm-hmm. and isn't happy, is not happy with the world as it is, and basically taps into all of the Infinity Stones to send himself back in time. Um, um, I know so a this. lot of, is, is it? So a lot of it is from um, Jarvis's point of view. It's not strictly from Jarvis's point of view, but a lot of it is. And... Um, I really need Jarvis's point of view since he's doing the time travel. <laughs> he's the one who's going, um, excuse me, um, 
I think there's some warning on this for graphic violence, but I will place a link in the chat room. I did a line in, um, I'd hit that too, where Jarvis threatens to create a time machine and go back in time and ruin um, General Ross's parents' life. <laughs> I'll ruin I'm your life, screw you up, your man. children's life, and I will invent a time travel machine, go back in time and ruin your parents' lives. <laughs> Just in case. So there might be some vague spoilers for Infinity Wars. It's not much because basically Jarvis wakes up when things are going bad and immediately fucks things up. Um, but the summary is just, this is the summary. Jarvis wakes up during Infinity War. And I went, really? <laughs> I need to read that. So even I'm though all work in. in progress. Yeah, I, even though it was a work in progress, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta read this. Like, I see what, what is Jarvis gonna do when he wakes up? And then it, it's tagged for time travel, which is how I found it, as I was looking for time travel stories in the MCU. And um, I was like, hmm. um, there, there. I have to go back to my list. There's, there's one. Oh, I would have to get, like give a huge amount of the plot away, the big reveal away, to. Yeah, there's there's one oh there's one that's really good. Um, um, it's also a whip though, but it's a very long whip where um, Stephen Strange sends Tony back in time. I kind of get the feeling that's what's going to happen in part two anyway. That that Tony will go back in time. It it kind of seems that way, but I mean, I, I, it could be like a bazillion things at this point. Yeah, we don't want to do we don't want to do any spoilers for people who are who are writing on the DVD. Um, but yeah, that's just my thinking. Um, it's really the other way they have out of that clusterfuck. <laughs> yeah, the other time travel. I told my husband. I hope Tony goes back oh, in time and erases everything after Avengers. <laughs> None of it happens but Black Panther. <laughs> but that happens differently so his daddy doesn't die. I don't know. Yeah. I was just like... I have issues. Mostly I have Thor Ragnarok issues. But I love that movie. And I really don't appreciate how my happy good feelings were invalidated. Marvel. Anyway. Fuck you, Marvel. Yeah, fuck you, Marvel. <laughs> In the eye. Anyways. <clears throat> I, I can't find the link right now. Somebody else can find it. But the other one I read that was really good, and this one is done, is... Um, yes, the, the, uh, the Jarvis one is on AO3. It's... Um, a Father's Son by D-N-K-Y. Um, if somebody could look up the link for Anu, um, A-N-E-W, um, that's the one I think was really good. It's time travel. It is complete. They have started on the second story, though. It is Tony Stark, Stephen Strange, which I did not think I would like, and I really did. So, um, oh, but he's a dick, though. Not even a fun dick. I mean... I didn't watch the Doctor Strange movie. My husband has it, but I haven't watched it yet. But he's the only character in Infinity War, and I'm including Thanos in this, that I didn't like. 
You'd have to watch Doctor Strange dick. to. He is a dick. He's a dick. Appreciate and, um, his dickishness. <laughs> uh, if you watch Infinity War, if you watch Doctor Strange, I think you will appreciate his dickishness a little bit more. Um, sometimes you need the backstory. Um, but yeah, he's but actually he's a bigger dick before he becomes a sorcerer supreme. So, uh, you're really yes, selling so. that. <laughs> I don't watch it. He's a bigger dick. It. You'll like it. <laughs> um, this tastes like shit. Taste it. <laughs> I that's what I said. I I thought he was. I I couldn't see it before I started reading the story, and then I went, okay, I see it. <laughs> this sometimes an author sells you on a pairing you think is improbable. So, um, oh yeah, he's he's an epic dick in in the in the in the first. Um, like actually for a good portion of the movie, he's an epic dick, but, uh, I don't know. There's mitigating circumstances, I guess. I'm had, I, I'm at the point in the finger where I'm thinking to myself, Tony is the most unlucky person on, in the entire universe. How did he get stranded on a planet with the biggest dick from earth that could possibly well, exist? Honestly, no, the biggest <laughs> dick on earth that could possibly exist is on earth. He could have gotten stuck out there with Captain America. So, um, <laughs> well, I have not seen have. Civil War, and I will not be watching it. Because um, fuck you, Marvel. I'm at the point. I there were two movies in the franchise I hadn't seen, and I thought because I have an ant phobia, so Ant Man was a real stretch for me. <laughs> so, but I did finally <laughs> see it. Um, I just had to close my eyes a lot, <laughs> a lot, a lot, wow. because they aren't they aren't they aren't minimalist on the ants in that movie. Um, so now the only movie in the franchise I haven't seen is Civil War, but I've read synopsis of it, so I know what happened. Um, and I have issues. I have I have feelings. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, but yeah, that was a time travel tangent about point of view. Is it, you know, when you're trying to do um, a tight plot, a tight short story plot, you have to consider how many points of view you're going to go into. And if you're going into more than two, rethink it. I mean, really, rethink it. If you need an emergency point of view because both of your main characters are unconscious, okay, you can have a third. <laughs> really, you really want to stick In 20K, every word counts, every sentence counts, every scene counts, and make them count. That is word economics. Yeah. Now, does that mean I'm not going to have any vanity scenes? That doesn't mean that. But on the other hand both of my plots, it'd be really hard to tell what was vanity and what wasn't because (laughs) I'm breaking in one story. um, The whole story is going to read like vanity scenes. Um, And the other story um, I'm breaking all of my short story rules. So um, what are your short story rules? Well, like about the the number of extended cast members and um, the number of, um, um, plot points and just how much plot and I don't know, I'm just doing things I wouldn't normally do, but I 
feel like I can contain it, but um, I'm doing a big extended cast, which is like, and I agree with you, it's a no-no. In, um, but they're all familiar cast members. I will say that they're all the cast. They're all people that people know, so I don't have to get in and explain their backstory. Um, so I had the last time I talked about my plots for July. I had said that I had one plot that was kind of open-ended, and I was just going to work through plot points until I was getting close to 20k, and then I was going to wrap it up. That's mm-hmm. the story where I went, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have just given Tony a huge extended family and not factored them in to the story at all. Not in Tony's motivation, not in Tony's reaction, not in Tony's anything. And Alex is close to his family, and they're all sentinels who have guides. So how does that make any sense? It didn't make any sense at all. So I had to replot. <laughs> and so all of a sudden you've got all the shepherds and Rodney and Evan and Miko and Raddick in the story. And I had, I just, it just changed things. I've got this really big extended cast, but none of them are original characters. So I don't have to really do much establishing about who these characters are and where they came from kind of thing. Um, Except there's no Stargate, so there's that to explain. But they all work for Shepherd Industries, so that's going to be simple. Um, but anyway, so I I had that massive miscalculation that I basically you know brought a whole bunch of new people into Tony's life with two years between the beginning and where the climax of the story is going to take place, and didn't account for. Um, the impact, the effect, the changes, the ripples that those people would have. And it's not like Alex was going to be okay with his brothers not being part of his life. So, um, yeah, that needed a reassessment. So I have a lot more characters in that story than I would normally have. In, but, but the Alex reassessment is awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I actually, my goal for July is to limit myself to two characters in each story. Wow. It'll be really easy in the Harry Hermione one because they're on the run anyway and they're already isolated. But it's going to be interesting um, with the Draco and Harry one. But, you know, this is just my way of um, just... I'm just trying something different, something new. And the way to contain Harry Potter a little bit. I'm going to limit myself to two characters and see how it goes. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I'm not going to torture myself. So if I, so if I can't do it, I'll acknowledge that and, and move on. But um, currently all my scenes are plotted with just two characters. My other story, Stick Around, is um, it, it's, not, it's definitely not two characters. But everybody else are just like around for um, – they're not playing any kind of major role. Scenery? No. <laughs> well, <laughs> no. Um, but that story, the point of the point of stick around is that is actually the point is Tony deciding that he wants to be a guide. Because um, I'm tweaking my own personal world building a little bit, which is that if you really don't want something, if you really don't want to be a sentinel guide, 
you don't come online. If it's something you really don't want, um, it doesn't happen. And he really doesn't want it. He's a latent guy. He really doesn't want that shit. And he never has. Um, so the story is about him falling in love with the Sentinel and that progress, the progression of that until he has that moment where he wants to be a guide. And that's the point of the story is him coming to that realization that it's, it's, it's actually conditional acceptance. It's like, if I could be your guide, I would want to be a guide kind of thing. Um, so a lot of the story is them getting to know each other, which is going to feel probably like vanity scenes, but they aren't really vanity because otherwise, I, how do I achieve my point? He would have to really right. care about somebody to change Well, you're writing plan. a romance. I am writing a romance. It's probably the most, from the way it's plotted right now, it's probably the most romance of any romance I've ever written. In that, that is, there's going to be a lot of stuff happening. You know, there's going to be a lot of little events that frame them getting to know each other. But it's the whole, that's the whole thrust is them getting to know each other and making these advances. And to the point that um, he accepts something different than what he's always wanted um, and embraces it. And that's the point of the story. Um, and him getting to that moment is also the climax of the story. But that's one of those times when the climax and the point coincide. We've got about 20 minutes left. Um, talking about short story world building, um, I think that it's important to um, be as concise as possible when you're adding your world building details to your narrative. Um, don't give us a paragraph or a sentence will do. Um, one thing that I I often do, um, and it's a terrible and it's a terrible habit, is I repeat points. Um, I repeat uh, details, um, and a lot of that is because um, I tend to write in episode format, and I try to write episodes so they can stand on their own. And these episodes standing on their own, sometimes you have to repeat data. You have to give the reader more information than you normally would on the assumption that they might not remember the details of the other episodes or they haven't read them. But when you're writing a short story, you don't want to waste your words by repeating details, either in conversation or in, um, um, or in narrative thought. So if Harry's going to think something and then eventually say it, just have him say it. And favor saying overthinking. Yeah, favor saying overthinking if you got them both. Yeah, because that's just an excellent way to keep your word economics um, reasonable. Also, leverage the tropes. And there are a lot of Sentinel Guide tropes out there that are really... And the point of the trope the point of tropes is that they're, they build familiarity in the reader. They give them a sense of what to expect. So if you're leveraging tropes, you have less to explain. You know, if somebody is not familiar with Sentinel Guide, which is Guide, why we chose AUs, this trope. Yeah. If someone is not familiar story. with Sentinel Guide, they're known AUs, they can go read The Awakening for their primer. You know, this is not. Reading Sentinel short stories is not where you learn about the trope, right? So I don't think that you need to worry about explaining Sentinel. You don't need to say, you know, 
way back when, you know, back when men were in caves, there, there were sentinels. You don't need to explain what a sentinel is. If people are coming into your story not knowing, they're going to be lost. You're going to have a lot more explaining than you can do in 20K. So but be prepared to leverage tropes, but leverage them in a way that you don't create conflict for yourself. So if you're leveraging the trope, I'll give an example. If you're leveraging the trope that sentinel and guides are known, that they are fairly common, that they tend to be in military service, um, that they tend to serve together, that the military tends to um, favor sentinel and guide pairings working together, that male-male pairings are common, if you're use, leveraging those tropes, don't then insert a bunch of homophobia into your story because it doesn't make sense. If throughout recorded history, male-male pairings have existed in the military, homophobia in the military would not be as rampant it is, as it is. So you have to, if you're going to leverage the trope, do it in a way that give, gives, is logically consistent. Does that make sense? And saves you time. Yeah. If you're going to, if you're going to challenge the trope, that's not helping you. That's not saving words. It's adding to your burden. Question, how do you come up with a title? Oh, Lordy. I went with song titles this year. Um, titles are always my a dude, My dude, my dude. I went with song titles this year, from both from ACDC songs. I looked at a list of every song, every song title from ACDC. I went through it. And that's strictly a nod to Tony Stark. And um, picked the two that were the most appropriate for um, my story. I do favor song titles. Mine are both song titles. Um, A lot of what might have been is either song titles or lyrics from songs. Um, Sometimes the title just comes to you. There are a lot of times I'll have um, my works in progress. It, the the title of the file will literally be the first line of the, of the fic. <laughs> there, there are words selected for me because I can't think of anything. And then I'll think of something like currently Small Magic, if you've, if, if you've read that on EAD, it actually has two or three titles. And I don't know what it's going to end up with at the end. But then there's something like Birth of the Serpent King. I titled that when I sat down to write. It was literally, that was the first sentence. That, that was the first line in the, in the file was Birth of the Serpent King. And then I dropped and started writing. So um, yeah. for me, titles are, they come and they go. And sometimes they don't come at all. And it's really frustrating. When they don't come for me, because like some stories, imperfect, I had the title almost before I had the plot. Um, I was noodling on the on the idea. It was I think that was a Big Bang story. I was noodling on the idea, and just from the basic concept, I went. I know to call the story imperfect, and then I finished fleshing out the plot. So sometimes the story um, intuitive. The story came more with the world building concept of people coming online as sentinel and as a psionically active. Um, other times, it's it's when I have to go to song titles. That means I haven't come up with anything that seems particularly inspired, and then I go and 
Shocking and Song titles. Sometimes I go to iTunes and just scroll through some of my through the list of songs in my library. But I have so many songs in my library that that can be. But the other thing I do is I have a tickler file of things that seem like they will be good good story titles for a different story. Like I'll see a song title or a word, and I go, that would be a really good story title. And I probably have. It's probably a couple hundred long now. And if I'm really struggling, I just go look at it and scroll through it and um, see what comes. I find music very inspiring. That's why a lot of times my my projects will end up um, named titled after lyrics and after um, songs. Um, Aham's music will, like, for instance, Josh Groban will forever be intrinsically linked with McShep in my head because when I wrote what might have been, I was obsessed with listening to it. To the point when my husband hears Josh Groban, which she calls Josh fucking Groban, he'll go, are you Roddy McKay Shepard? <laughs> Uh, yep, <laughs> I'm all up in it. So because it's just intrinsically linked, the the two together. Um, but with with rough trade, you have to make your titles this decision so fast, and it's like, ugh. and um. There have been times when I've named something in Rough Trade that I wished I had named something different and I was kind of stuck with it. And then after you start posting and you've got content under it, it's like really hard to change it on your site because then you'll have 10, 15, 20,000 people emailing you going, I can't find such and such. Oh, it's on the site. It just has a new name. No, I'm not doing that. So when I go on to Rough Trade, and I do, those are my titles. <laughs> I'm stuck. Yeah. Well, well, my inspiration songs for this challenge um, were both by Imagine Dragons and one story is the story the song is called Warriors and the other one is called Demons and um, and actually in my head I can tell I know if I'm talking about the Warriors song that's the Tony is a um, sentinel story and Demons is Tony is a guide I know them by, by the inspiration songs but when I have to try to remember which ACDC song I named the stories after, I actually get them mixed up. <laughs> so, I didn't do myself I didn't do myself any favors by picking ACDC song titles that were different from the inspiration songs. So um, that was just a well, bit of stupidity. Light, light, Lifehouse. Oh. Is it Lifehouse? Light. I love that song. Yeah. When I heard it, I was like, oh, God, I have to write a story about that. And I always knew that it would be a Harry Draco story. And then when Julie was doing her titles and she said she was going to use song titles, oh, I said, I'll use song titles, too. <laughs> and so, you know, I went round and round for a while and I ended up with those. Song titles are a great fallback position. Don't, if you're beating your, like, head against the wall on a title and just save yourself the headache and go find a song title. Or, or a lyric, lyric or something. Your favorite song. Yeah. If you have an inspiration song for the story, look at the lyrics for it. If the song, the song titles of the, um, 
or album. It's not to be song titles, it could also be album titles, because I think I wrote one of my, one of my Sentinel stories was from a, a title of an album, I think. Um, my story in April was a that. Maroon 5 song. And no, I don't think about Adam Levine when I think about BDSM, although he is very attractive. (laughs) I totally missed that connection. Why would anybody ask you if you think about Adam Levine when you... I'm just I'm just cutting it off at the pass because you would not believe the oh, okay. shit I get asked. I'm just saying. Oh, I had a weird thing happen. You know, I'm I'm older. Uh, you know, I'm not as young as I used to be. Uh, I got hit on in traffic. I haven't had some dude wave at me from a car and try to get my phone number from his car at a stoplight since I was 20-something. And I was like, dude, are you serious? <laughs> I got really tickled. <laughs> I was like, I can't. I am too old for this. <laughs> he looked really young, too. I think he was looking for a cougar. I was like, what? He, but he wasn't like creepy or, you know, catcalling me or anything. He just, he waved at me and um, wiggled his ring finger, which was empty. So I held up my hand and wiggled mine, which is not empty. <laughs> he gave me this really exaggerated sad face. <laughs> that poor puppy. <laughs> I know, right? He might have been 25, 26. I don't know. I am, I am not at that age where I could... Uh, that's when no. you just go, look, you you must be this old to ride this ride. <laughs> <laughs> this old and this long. Yeah. <laughs> that criteria, too. What? I'm not one of those bitches who, who, who will go out and tell a man that size doesn't matter when size does, in fact, matter. See, and you say that me. because you've never seen a one-inch penis. If you're saying that size doesn't matter, that's because you've never actually encountered a small one. Well, it could mean, you know, it depends upon just how good he is with his, his tongue or something like that. I don't know. It may not matter. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. I require it penetration. On, so it depends upon how much you, how much, how much uh, penetration you're requiring. So, um, I require it. <laughs> There you go. So it matters. That's when it does matter. They do like he doesn't look like he could be a shepherd, but that particular picture, he just looks like dead from the neck up. I just, I, I'm no, just, just you know, I often wondered um, why he, why they, why he's so serious in that picture. How can he be that naked in front of the photographer and be that serious? Yeah, there is such a thing as too big. Um, I have seen, um, there's a difference between 
a challenge? And death-defying. <laughs> I don't need a penis up in my rib cage. <laughs> well, yeah, sort of like I, I am willing to try to conquer Half Dome. I'm not interested in Everest. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've seen one. Oh, that's that's. Come on, let's go. That's challenging. I I am I am all aboard that train. And then I have seen no. <laughs> oh hell no. <laughs> so you're looking at it going, oh, I don't know where you think you're putting that, but um, it better stay on your side of the room. <laughs> That's I'm, I'm closed for business over here. I don't even know what what I don't even know why you have an erection while you're still conscious. I have no slots for that tab. (laughs) (laughs) Be gone. (laughs) But yes, size matters. Stop lying to men. It really does across the board. Well, just, you know, you have small, you have small fries out there. Just find a woman who's not too into penetration and you're golden. Right. Who won't? And if she's not into penetration, she might actually appreciate a smaller penis. Right, because I mean, if if she might be much more down for giving blowjobs, it's a lot easier to give a blowjob to smooth a little dick than to smooth a big dick. Just saying. Yes, it is. Yeah, when you got your well, the size of your mouth are cracked. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> see, I told you guys. If you waited long enough, that sex would come up. That's right. Well, I mean, there was sometimes, you know, there was this guy. Okay, I was really into him. I was, I was. This is when I was young and ambitious. Um, and he gets it out of his pants. Ambitious. And I was like, whoa. I was like, whoa, <laughs> whoa. Um, and we tried because I was there was ambition going on, and we tried, but we even needed a couple of retaining rings to save my cervix. So. Um, I was like, I was like feeling like I was like, I guess I was like a conciliatory blowjob kind of thing. I don't know why I thought it was going to go better in my mouth. Because <laughs> that was a no-go. That was wrapping both hands around it to try to keep it away from the back of my throat. <laughs> I was like, motherfucker. That was terrible. Bless your heart. Bless I was like, heart. I can't. Him, not you. I, I didn't get him. I, I, mean, I, I did get him off. He got me off too. That was nice. But um, yeah, <laughs> it was. Uh, but it was not through the means we had started because I was just like, oh. But some women, I'd say, some women like having a guy bouncing off their cervix. I am not one of them. So if he's long enough to touch my cervix, he is too long for this ride. <laughs> I actually like that. I do. I don't. It's just, it's just, the sensation is, <laughs> no. <laughs> but provided we're not talking coke, <laughs> but provided we're not talking, since we said butt sex would come up, provided we're not talking coke can dick here, I'm totally willing to try switching out, flipping over. But um, girth is a much bigger issue <laughs> with that. So, um 
And this guy was not qualified on that. I actually prefer girth to length. Um, for vaginal penetration, I prefer girth to length. Um, I like both, but if I, I had too. to choose between I them, I would take seven inches that I couldn't get my hand around versus ten that I could get my hand around. Now that for the for 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 the front, sure, but anal penetration, I I prefer the opposite. A little bit slow, you know, longer is fine. They get a little bit slenderer. So, um, but this one did. <laughs> he wasn't riding any of these rides. <laughs> so, uh, you know, no. Oh, honey, I'm so sorry. I can't. I, I can't. I, I thought so. Obviously, we had plans to. That was, and that was in my adventurous stage. So, um, now even half that would probably scare the crap out of me. The older you get, the less. Like, how about I go back to my gynecologist? I don't want to have that conversation at this age. It's like, it's like unfortunately, but when you're 20, you'll be like, yeah, I had a really good time, but I think I probably needed an exam. <laughs> but at four, you're like, I, I won't talk about it. <laughs> yeah, something happened. Just fix me. Two seconds. Uh, we'll probably see you tomorrow, maybe. Who knows? Um, I have um, plans to get my nails done tomorrow with my mom, so we'll see how that goes, see how I feel when I get home. Um, Say goodnight, Julie. Goodnight, and may you all have beautiful nails. (laughs) 